This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey there, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and I get to share these stories with you every week of the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. As you may recall from episode 194, I'm partnering with my friends over at Intent on a handful of episodes this year, specifically to explore how customer adoption happens in agriculture. In my view, one of, if not the biggest challenges in ag tech today is the disconnect between what farmers view as helpful and valuable in solving real problems and what ag tech and agribusiness view as, quote unquote, the real problems or what a farmer needs. Intent is one of the very few companies that's out there attacking this problem head on. Now, on the surface, they facilitate farmer trials as a third party for ag tech and agribusiness clients. But the reality goes quite a bit deeper than that. What they're really doing is facilitating an iterative process that allows companies to get to know farmers and vice versa. This then enables them to understand each other in a way that allows for better communication and bridging that gap so that real solutions to real problems are created. It's a really complicated process, which is why we're partnering on a few episodes to bring examples of how this is happening in practice. So today you're going to hear from one of those examples. It's an Intent client, Dan Poston from Pivot Bio, and an Intent collaborator, Sean Bloomgren, who's both a farmer and a local ag retailer in Iowa. But first, I think it's helpful to better understand what role intent plays in this whole sort of process. So before we get to Dan and Sean, I've brought with me here to set up this episode, Kyle Morrow. Kyle is the senior precision agronomist with intent, and he actually joined as their first employee after the founders. But before joining, he worked with intent as a farmer for a few years. So Kyle, maybe a good place to start is, if you wouldn't mind, just sort of set the stage for us of where intent fits into this customer adoption process. So a lot of times what you see is you'll see a company, they do all their in-house testing, they see results, they go to maybe some CROs, and then they skip a step and go straight to sales. And what we're providing as a third party is we can really bridge that gap because we have this big network, right? And what we could do is we could start to execute these trials on farms. So that does a multitude of things. So we're a third party independent testing. So, you know, the results that we give are not based upon trying to make sales. And so, you know, that they're validated, you know, through all of our, our processes of executing a good trial through, you know, good data analytics. And then also too, it gets it out in the real world is what I like to say, the real farming environment. Because we all know that farmers don't farm the same. All the microclimates and regions are completely different. And you always hear farmers say like, hey, I want to see it on my farm. I want to see it on my farm. Well, that's what we're doing with, with, our, with our trials is we, we are getting on farm. And, you know, one thing that we do besides just testing a product is, you know, we have many, many trials where the farmer, there was something out there. They've seen a difference, but they're like, you know what? 
I like the company. I've talked to their scientists. I've talked to their agronomists, their product development. I believe in what they're doing. So I'm going to continue to test it because I believe in them. And that's because we've connected. And it's not like, hey, here's some product. We pay you to put it out. Give us the, the harvest data and we'll tell you what happens. You know, We really try to facilitate that conversation and connect it to because that's where even better innovation happens is when you can connect those two together. And we're there as the, the third-party validator. We um, provide that as a service. And often, most of the companies, they're still doing their own trials. They're not solely relying on us. You know, here, shortly, you'll hear um, Dan and, and Sean talk. And Dan's from Pivot Bio, and, and he'll kind of go through, you know, he's got intent trials. He's got his university trials. He's got other trials going on as well. So most of the time, we're, we're a piece of that puzzle to help validate their results. Okay, thank you very much, Kyle. And for those of you listening, you're going to get to hear more from Kyle at the end of the show as we talk about insights and takeaways from this episode. Now, though, we turn our attention over to our featured conversation. You're going to get a very interesting look into how complex this process of adoption is. It's not sales. It's not R&D. It's not marketing. It's not customer support. It's a unique mix of all of these things wrapped up into one and fully focused on the communication that has to come from trialing. Joining me, as Kyle mentioned, is Dan Poston, the Director of Agronomy for Pivot Bio. Pivot Bio utilizes technology to provide microbial solutions for crop nutrition, including biological nitrogen fixation. Before Pivot Bio, though, Dan worked for Pioneer Seed for over a decade and before that worked for Mississippi State University. So he has a long background in agronomy and research both on the public sector side, the large company side, and now more of the early stage company side. Sean Bloomgren is a fourth generation farmer from Iowa and the owner of Bloomgren Seed, which is a multi-spectrum ag business that sells seed, seed treatments, and other crop inputs. Sean spends a lot of his time consulting with growers to help them drive revenue and scout for new technology. Now, Dan's going to start with a very important point here as we jump in. The reason that trialing has become so much more complex than it used to be is because the products and solutions themselves have become a lot more complex than they used to be. Well, Tim, let me kind of take you back a little bit in really the development pipeline for a micro type product. It's certainly not as simple as the chemistry that would exist with a with a fungicide or an insecticide or, or a herbicide for sure. In, in many regards, that's a much simpler development pipeline. Here you're dealing with a living organism. So you've got to have products that you can, number one, that do what needs to be done, but that you can formulate, that you can ship, that you can store, and that you can ensure that that product really arrives live to the customer and, and enters the soil alive. So, so that in itself is a challenge. So we're constantly thinking about how you test those products, where you test those products, and how close to the customer you get from a testing perspective. So you're limited on the value in many regards of what a small plot testing program can allow you to do. We have a product that needs to really be applied uh, using farmer equipment, applied like the farmer, applies it in the field, and really under farmer conditions. So 
to make our final cut in the development pipeline, we really want to have that footprint and that experience on a farmer field before we feel comfortable delivering it to the customer, if, if that kind of helps in what you were asking. It does. But how, how do you make the determination of how big that footprint to be it should be, as in like how many trials are enough and you know where you should go look for those trials? How, it seems like there should be a lot of considerations rather than just saying, hey, I know five farmers. Let me just go send it to five farmers. Like, How does that uh, decision process happen? Well, uh, there are tons of pieces and parts to that question, Tim, to be honest with you. Of course, the first question we ask is we go to our in-house statisticians and our data scientists, and, and we ask them to, to tell us, you know, how many locations do we really need to have to be able to separate the, the yield difference or the performance difference we're looking for? And, and that number moves depending on how fine of a yield separation or a nitrogen production separation we want. Sometimes that may be a minimum of 30 locations. Sometimes that may be a minimum of 100 locations. But it's really driven by the math and the statistics behind that decision making. We ended up with the Generation 2 products, about 75 total locations between intent farmer trials and in-house pivot bio proven that are all on-farm trials plus another 40 small plot trials that required a lot less product. So you can get you, you can get more trial locations there because it doesn't require the volume of product that it requires to go on-farm and do a 5, 10, 20-acre block type trial. Interesting. And, and so in that decision to go 75 farmers, do you take into consideration you know, things like soil type, climate, what history of what's been on that ground before? I mean, for all 75 of those? Yes. So our first objective was to distribute those locations across the U.S. first and foremost with the eastern and western corn belts, since we are focusing on corn being the predominant regions, kind of followed by the mid-southern U.S., which is kind of your third largest corn region in the U.S. So we start by following the corn acres for sure. Tim, and then we look for a diversity of production systems. So there's there may be folks that apply manure, others that don't. There may be folks that apply corn behind corn or corn behind beans. So we're looking more for a diversity of environments from a product characterization standpoint than we are targeting a specific environment. Say, for example, if we dictated that we wanted every every location to be on sandy soil, well, that wouldn't give us what we needed to know from a product standpoint. So we have a true diversity of soil types, production systems, climates, environments. So the, the mandate from me and the agronomy side is that we have a diversity of environments so that we can possibly identify before we release a product an environment that may not be favorable to a particular microbe. It's fascinating. I mean, and that's where the, the data science comes in, right, where they have to have the data and be able to mine the data in a way that that actually gives you a usable trial, in this case, among 75 farmers. Absolutely. Man, that sounds like the hard part. So then you just ship it to the farmers and you wait for uh, the results, right? The shipping in itself is an interesting part of the puzzle. Let's put it that way. What do you mean? Well, you know, oftentimes you've got a product like Pivot Bio Proven, okay, that's a shelf-stable final version type product. 
So it can be shipped to the farmer. It's, you know, stable up to a certain temperature. So handling and shipping of that type of product is not that big of a challenge. But the type products that you ship for final stage product development oftentimes are not that stable and they have to be refrigerated. So you're shipping essentially two plus gallon type containers to farmers that have to be refrigerated. So as part of the protocol, they have to be able to refrigerate those. So you've got to find folks that are willing to do that, that are willing to learn with you. So it would be much easier to ship those products to contractors and get some kind of small plot type trials, but it really would not be representative of using true grower equipment, true real world production. And that's what we're, we're committed to doing. Excellent. Well, I, I want to get into that later, but before we do, let's pivot over here to, to Sean. And, and Sean, with you being on the farm side, you know, let's pick up right where Dan left off here a little bit. I'm sure you're not, you know, kind of waiting around to see what potential trials fall into your lap to just, you know, put out there on a year to year basis. When does the process start on your end? Yeah, really great question, Tim. So I think I think there's been a little bit of an evolution with with both our business and our farm because there's a a pretty significant gap in my mind. A lot of times you have conversations, whether it's on your own family farm or even with the growers that we partner with. And it's amazing the conversations that take place in November, December, January, you know, when you're at ag shows or when you're learning about things. And it's funny how eager people are during those months to say, oh yeah, I'd love to try this product or learn more. And then when you actually get into the execution phase, that becomes a lot more difficult. You know, we've we've created an an ag system that continues to move faster and faster and cover more acres and, and, and smaller windows of times so that we're trying to execute these things. And so I think that actual process of saying, yes, we're interested. Yes, we want to try this out. But then the actual process of execution is often a lot more difficult than we, uh, than we maybe think it is. And, and those are hard lessons to learn, you know, and, and they're very frustrating. And oftentimes in a cycle that only you only have one opportunity a year to do, it's amazing how you can burn an entire year and go, man, there's really a lot of things I wanted to learn. And I didn't, I didn't take the time or put in the effort to build them in the right way to really get the information I was hoping for. So, so what, what are some of those pitfalls? Where, where do things go wrong for, for a lot of people who, who kind of find themselves in that situation? Yeah, I think you can start at a farm level, I mean, an individual, you know, farm level, but then extrapolate that out. I, I think, I think you, can, you can err in a lot of ways. I, I know oftentimes, historically, the sample is, is too small. And so maybe one grower will take one piece of information and try and take it to their operation and they'll have a limited view and a lack of protocol. And depending on the complexity of what you're trying to learn about, oftentimes we don't even have the tools to properly query the, the, the plot. And, and so I've seen a lot of products live and die because they're planted and they're, and they're harvested. And that's the only information that's ever provided back in terms of answers. And oftentimes I, I really think you miss a lot of the pieces that should be a part of that process. And so I think I think on a challenging level for us, you know, speaking personally, first and foremost, it's it's getting the right sample size where you have enough information to make a wise decision, not basing it on one, you know, one single sample or maybe a couple. And then really for me with our seed business, it's really been around the concept of protocol. So we've we've historically lacked the ability to build a protocol that allows for repetitive testing with intention so that when we get to the backside of it, we can say, hey, here's what we were trying to learn. We had the appropriate sample size. 
And then we did it in a repetitive nature where we can actually determine whether or not what we saw is creating the consistency we want. And so, so really for us, it's, I promise you there have been some great products that have gone through our farm that haven't tested well because we didn't build a proper test that have probably been discarded that should be products we're using today, but because we didn't test them in the right way, we didn't have the ability to understand what we should or shouldn't do with them. Interesting. Let's let's stay on that note for a second. Is it, you know, generally, is it the responsibility of the company to get that protocol right or the farmer to get that protocol right of how it might work in their operation or or more the communication between the two? Where, you know, where do things fall apart there? Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, you know, when I think of real world examples, we put a lot of energy and effort into a product that we were really excited about in the 2019 growing season. And we we entered it with a real lack of protocol. And so even though I had a lot of growers willing to participate, and even though I had, I think, guys that were really enthusiastic about it, when we went to roll up the data, we realized we we just completely whiffed on some really key metrics that would have been important. And so at the end of the day, we were left with what, unfortunately, farmers are stuck with a lot of times, which is a whole bunch of opinions and really no actual facts. And it was, it was, it was a radically discouraging day to me because a lot of people put in time and effort and, and, and really did a great job. But because there wasn't clear direction on what we were trying to do, it, it went by the wayside. And so I think, it's, I think it's really holistic because first and foremost, with any product, I think a, a test has to be built appropriately to look for the answer you're trying to get, right? I mean, so so yield is often less complex than than when we're looking at some of the, you know, nutrients and nitrogen and, and plant health and all these things. Those require a different a different set of tests. And so we we've had a lot of people willing to partner with us. And oftentimes we get to the backside of that data set and go, man, we didn't build this right or we built it too inconsistently and all we can really do is offer an opinion about it. You mentioned communication. Even if you can build the data set the right way, getting the growers and the executors of that test where everybody's on the same page and understands what they're trying to accomplish in and of itself is really, really difficult. The whole process is really difficult. It's amazing how how when it's done right, the information is so valuable, but how hard it is to get to that, you know, to that point where it's really built in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's a, that's a good segue back to Dan. Dan, you know, I know in, in the one example we've talked about, we talked about 75 different on-farm trials. I don't know, this year, maybe more than that, maybe less than that, maybe you could speak to it. But how do you manage all that and make sure that not one of those, you know, 75 or so are in that position that Sean just described of, yeah, I think I'm doing this right, but I guess we'll find out at the end whether I really get anything usable from this. Well, the the 75, Tim, really is, those are the on-farm Generation 2 trials that we have. That's certainly not the footprint of the company with even the commercial product proven is much, much larger than that, especially when you throw in um, all of our university partners and everything as well. But Sean touched on a really, really important part of this whole process, and that's developing a protocol that is meaningful. And with a product like a, a microbial, you start by you really don't know what you don't know. So you have to you have to whittle down to meaningful measurements that tell you what you want to know. So so we sell a nitrogen fixing microbe. So the job of that microbe is to help ensure a more consistent supply of nitrogen to the plant. So ideally, you end up with more 
nitrogen in the plant at critical times during the growing year, and hopefully that translates to yield. That does not always translate to yield, but the, the microbe may have done its job and actually supplied the nitrogen, but something else is limiting yield, or the field cannot supply the additional nutrients to supply a bigger factory that was produced as a consequence of the microbe. So you have other factors in there. So we can't end up at the end of the year, like Sean said, and just have a yield number as our measure of success. We are, you know, we're trying to develop measurements that are executable at the farm level, at the in-house company trial level, at the small plot level that measure those nutritional interactions in the plant. Those are whole plant nutrient measurements because, you know, there's a lot of talk in the industry about, you know, I'm going to pull tissue samples. Well, oftentimes I go into fields with Pivot Bio Proven, for example, and I will see a larger, growthier plant, oftentimes by V4 to V6. That's not every field, but that's at least half the fields you see that in, and you generally see it by V4, V6. So you know that the microbes had an effect on the plant at that growth stage. Well, if you pull a tissue sample, oftentimes you have a larger plant that has the nitrogen more distributed through an actively growing plant. And the control plant's actually smaller, a little darker green sometimes. And if you pull a tissue sample of the upper leaves, then you end up with the control plant actually has a higher nitrogen concentration. But when you take the entire plant mass, multiply by the percentage of the nutrient in nitrogen or any other nutrient that's in the plant, then the total pounds of the nutrient captured by that plant above ground is actually larger in the proven treated. So you have there, there are lots of pieces and parts. You can't, for example, you can't go away from that field and only measure a tissue sample because it doesn't tell the whole story. So we're trying to come up with those measurements that are meaningful at the right times during the growing season. And that's, that's an evolving process. Sean, you, you can certainly speak to that. Yeah, I, I really like Dan. I, I, so when you're, you know, when you're having that conversation, I think when you think about the the kind of historical process of vetting out products, we've we've traditionally been placing a hybrid or variety next to each other, and it's a relatively simple measurement, and we don't need oftentimes a lot of the metrics that Dan's talking about. So I I grew up in the era of hybrid corn, right? I grew up in the era of is is this new hybrid going to outyield the other hybrid? Perhaps I'm visually inspecting for disease or, you know, a plant height I like or a standability. But at the end of the day, it's very simple for a farmer to put those things next to each other and without much outside influence come in and say, yes, this one's better than that one. And I can tell you why. I don't really even need to be all that scientific in that transaction. But when we start to talk specifically about biological products and and really the, the physiological processes of a plant, this becomes a much more complex interaction because exactly what Dan was talking about, if you look at Pivot Bio specifically, nitrogen is one of very of a lot of components that are going to contribute to our overall yield. If we don't have a protocol in place where we're holistically looking at the biological interaction with the plant, we could totally miss how to use a product like this. Our question today is less about is this thing doing what we what we know it's doing? It's more about, okay, 
then what do we do with that information and how do we use that product really, really well? And I think I think a lot of great products, I think I said this earlier, have gone by the wayside because of a lack of a high quality way to actually ask questions about what is this what is this product doing to my plant? And therefore, how do I add that into my, you know, overall process for approaching my my farm? So I, I just really like what you're saying there, Dan, in, in the sense of it's so much more complex today, especially when you're when you're starting to talk about the microbiome of the plant, the interaction with nitrogen and all these other components. It's it's a lot more difficult than just observing from a combine cab. Well, and 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 you build on that a little bit, Sean. That's why we see a diversity of growers. I could build a protocol, send it to 30 or 40 contractors. They would all execute that protocol exactly the same. They would apply their fertilizers we told them to apply it. They would apply it when we told them to apply it. They they may, if we told them to apply it in, uh, you know, a side dress, you know, methodology, they would do it. But it does not reflect the complexity and the diversity of what farmers do in the real world. If I have a really good data set from a couple hundred growers, those couple hundred guys are mixing something different in the tank every time. And, you know, if we collect those data and we do a good job of doing that partnered with intent where we know what the farmers mix with, for example, we may identify red flags on some of those farms because, hey, you know, Last year, for example, I picked up one one location that I thought we, you know, the, the microbe really should have worked, but it was mixed with something that was very, very acidic. So those are the type of little things that you're going to pick up, If but you've got to mine that data. You've got to have those site characterization data. I've got to know what the organic matter is. I've got to know what the cation exchange capacity is. I've got to know how the grower applied his nitrogen. Did he split apply? Did he apply up front? Did he mix with 103040? Did he mix with 6246? Those are all, if you structure trials right, you can gather that from a diversity of farmers and you really are a step ahead of the true development process because you're identifying those things before you actually launch a product. If you stick to contractor trials as good as they are, you don't have that diversity of backgrounds before you launch a product and you find out you find out all of that after you sell a product. So we're, we're developing this thing a little differently. We're trying to make sure we get a good grower footprint before we release new products. But with that being said, Tim, in many regards, we're characterizing Pivot Bio Proven after we've commercialized it. So our farmers are helping us figure this out, which is going to make us better as we did, as we release newer products too. Now, Sean, for for you, I mean, you're. It sounds like you're busy. You got you're farming. You've got this agribusiness. Where does trialing come in for you? How has it been a worthwhile project for you to take on? Yeah. So one quick point on the concept of commercialization too. I think that one thing that I'd really, I'd really point out. So my experience with Pivot is the trialing done by intent actually has been a large springboard for our ability to take that product as a commercial product and offer it, our relationship with Pivot was actually born out of intent trials. And so we had a grower that did not have a relationship with Pivot, did not have a relationship with intent, actually come to us and say, hey, I'm interested in this product. Can you go help me understand? And we were able to go and then actually find out the growers that were using it via the intent network. 
And so now rather than rather than having to trust company data, you know, we get to go to real individual growers that really don't have a dog in the fight, right? And intent certainly has a, a, a vested interest in the success of its customers. But for the for the farmer trial himself, he doesn't have a dog in the fight. He's he's incentivized to execute on a trial. But so for us, we actually found our own customers participating in these trials. So got to hear firsthand experiences for how the product performed, got to go look at it, you know, through real grower trials. And so when we talk about, you know, paid contractors, it's a very different set of eyes, I think, when you're dealing with your neighbors that you can sit at the coffee shop with and visit about what they're seeing. And and so then asking the question in regards to, you know, where does this fit into our business? I think the concept of of ag sales is starting to dissipate. It's something that we work a lot in our in our organization. It's not our job to convince you of something. It's our job to know and understand what's available in this industry and help our growers come up with the, with the best set of resources to accomplish their goals. And and so for us, we it's it, it sounds really cheesy, and I don't even like saying it, but we. I think our job really is to educate people. You know, we've got a, a large group of people that come to us and they want us to help them know and understand what's available to them, what would fit well into their organization. And we can't do that if we don't if we don't have access to the type of work that Intent is doing. Historically, it feels like a lot of information has been held very close to the chest and oftentimes is done internally by companies. When we can actually go to a third party like Intent that, that gets to see you know, all these different things in the industry and works with real growers, in my opinion, it, it raises our ability to know and understand and go with confidence to our growers that what we're bringing them is is a valuable part of their farming operation and ultimately will allow them a return on investment. That's our that's our job, right, is to educate these guys on what they can what they can use to accomplish their goals. So and are you do- doing trials on your own farm as well as your customers farms? Yeah, so we so we are doing trials on our own farm for sure. I think we've got a, a couple different trials out with with intent this year, and then oftentimes we're trying to identify the right types of partners depending on on what it is that we're trying to test and learn about. Hmm, right, Sean. For you now, what about the technology needs going into kind of the data collection and uh, management, and and even maybe the communication that goes along with doing these trials. You know, what's it take to make it work from, you know, once you get and understand the protocol to actually, you know, to, to the end goal? Yeah, I, th- I think that when you start to talk about the technology need, I, I think <laughs> it's overly simplistic, but also really complicated at the same time. So we're flooded with technology and, and, and really have been now for, you know, really probably the past five to 10 years in ag. So there's been an abundance of data. There's been an abundance of technology. The failure has really been how to narrow that down where we where we really even know what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And so I think that when I look at intense execution over the past year, probably really the easy part is some of the stuff that we're we're used to, which is, you know, the the simple things, labeling hybrids, understanding, you know, where in the fields we're supposed to plant things, that sort of thing. I think the the larger, more difficult process is is I joke sometimes getting farmers to do trials well is like herding cats. You know, can we get everybody in the same place? Can we get everybody to speak the same language? Can we get everybody to understand why the protocol is built the way that it is so that at the end of it, you know, there's a there's a really nice culmination. So the the really neat part to me is with my experience with intent, there's 
very few farmers that today wouldn't have the technology to participate. The difficult part, again, is being invested enough to know, hey, I probably need to be on a webinar so I understand what the protocol is. I need to understand when I'm on that webinar, you know, what is it we're looking for and and why are certain components of the protocol so important? It's amazing to me. We have we have an abundance of technology and a lack of clarity on what it is we're trying to accomplish. And, and, I, and I really think that's a lot of what what intent has brought to the table for us. We have they haven't really brought necessarily new technology for us. They've helped us. They've helped us to use the technology we have to ask the questions we want to ask and then answer them. And when I say that, I do want to I do want to give them a huge kudos. I think there's a ton of technology on the backside that we don't see in terms of how they process and break apart the data and that sort of thing. But in terms of on the front facing side of it, you know, we have it. We need someone to come in and really help us understand and execute that process. And and if I could also, Tim, just just grab onto what Dan was talking about be, before we went to this point. One, this is a, a huge compliment, in my opinion, to Pivot Bio, but also to the partnership with Intent. When you are launching a product, especially a product that's coming out of the the biological space, which is which is a it's a space that that really needs to establish credibility. One of the challenging things, whether you're a farmer choosing to invest or whether you're a seller that wants to go offer this to their growers, really is the ability to handle objections well, you know, handle objections well and give confidence to the end user. And so when you look at what Pivot has done, in large part because of the partnership with Intent, they've allowed to say, we know these certain things to be true from our internal data. And a lot of companies would have said, based on that, we're going to go to market. I think that Pivot knew that in and of itself isn't enough. So now we're going to go partner with Intent. We're going to build a broader network. We're going to verify that what we know to be true in the lab is, is true in the field. And then that's not even going to be enough. Now we're going to go and we're going to partner with land-grant universities so that we can, we can again, verify our information. So as someone who both uses the product on, on personal acres and also sells the product, the really nice part for me is I can say, Hey, here's what we know scientifically to be true. And here's, you know, here's proof from an independent third party. And then, and then here's proof from a land grant university. And, and as we can kind of build those, those blocks of confidence in, it makes adoption of this stuff so much easier than if it's simply, we know this to be true in a lab. And, and that oftentimes I think is the, the great gap you have to get across with biological products is just seeing them vetted out over a large enough area. Yeah, it's such a great point, Sean. I want to be mindful of your guys' time. I know we're running up against time. But Dan, I think maybe building off of that, if you could speak to that insight, uh, how, how did you all know that, that that it needed to happen that way? Just kind of picking backing off of what, what Sean just said, you know, how did you all have that insight rather than say, look, you know, we need to get to market, we need to validate this in market to kind of build it so strategically that way? Well, I'll go back to what Sean said. A lot of the biological microbial space has a reputation issue. And, you know, we made a decision that, number one, we needed a testing footprint in the real world. We needed third-party validation. And we were not going to sell a product on a few pictures here and there and take it to market and just sell whatever you can sell. We really wanted to understand the product. We wanted to partner with our customers and have third-party validation. And we made a conscious decision to do that and let the chips fall where they may. Does this product work in every environment that we put it in? Absolutely not, but it works in most. 
So uh, my, my biggest goal as a scientist is to partner with people like Intent and third-party folks. And uh, I don't as much want to know about where it works as I want to understand why it didn't work in an environment. If I can do that, then I can, I can help folks be successful with the product. And uh, the footprint that Intent has provided for us certainly helps us be able to do that because there's just so much to do in a development process. You just can't do it alone, especially if you're a small company. Uh, we've obviously been alluding it the, almost this entire time, but I would love for you to speak directly to it, Dan, of you mentioned earlier, or actually both Sh- Sean mentioned, it's like herding cats doing these on-farm trials. You mentioned earlier that, you know, the amount of work that goes into it, and it's certainly not the easy way. What makes it all worthwhile? Well, let me let me go back to something that Sean said, and it really revolves around the use of digital data. We have tons of digital data, data available to almost every grower in the country, but very few of them know how to access it and leverage it even after 20 years of precision ag development. So one of the things that Intent does really well is they help us gather all those pieces and parts and gather that digital data and clean and process that data so that we can get it into a standardized format that we can really leverage it. And those data are coming from growers with all types of equipment, all types of planter and combine monitors, different equipment, different standardized formatting. So it's it's a challenge and a heavy lift to be able to aggregate all of that data into a usable form. Intent does that well. That is a heavy lift on their part. And Sean is right. A lot goes on in the background to help them get to the point where we can use all of those data. So that that's a big part of what they do, Tim. Thanks, Dan. And and Sean, you know, this podcast is called Future of Agriculture. So, you know, how does the future of agriculture look different if companies start to become a lot more proficient at this process, at the on-farm trialing process? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. So when I think about, you know, the very near-term future, you know, certainly 2020 and, and what looks like might be the next couple of growing seasons, we're at a very unique time in ag because I think we have some of the the neatest technology, some of the best products we've ever had, but return on investment probably has as much is, is probably as, as critical today as it has been maybe in the last in the last decade, you know. And so I think when you talk about how does that correlate to being proficient in this process, I think ultimately there's a lot of great opportunity in, in a lot of spaces, especially the biological space. But we've got to clean up this reputation and we've got to bring, I'm going to grin when I say this, but we've got to bring proven products to the market. You know, we can't, we can't throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Dan, I thought, I thought said something that just hammers home to experiences I've had where people will run all over the industry showing a handful of pictures and have a couple quotes from growers and that's their entire marketing plan. And, and, you know, I, I, I think that doing this really, really well is going to be so important for farmers and for companies bringing new technology because ultimately, you know, restoring trust and confidence in the things that we're going to try and do to protect and enhance ROI is just critical, especially in the very short term. I think in the long term, you know, it feels like ag is shifting again. You know, we went through we went through hybrids and, and our biggest gains were coming in and, you know, breeding and hybrid advancements, technology around those. We went through a period of time where technology then was our, our real big push. So whether that was precision equipment or, or technology to help us understand what's happening on our farms, it really feels like today the, 
the forefront or the next big thing is this biological space. And I think that specific space requires such a deeper level of understanding of what's actually happening in the field. Well, I sincerely want to thank both Dan and Sean for taking the time to be on the show, share their thoughts and experiences about how innovation and adoption happens in real life, in practice. I think this is so very important. I mean, we could talk about all the high-flying technology we want on this show, but if the rubber is not meeting the road, uh, which is what you just heard about from Dan and Sean, it's all for nothing. So really appreciate them being on to, to share their experiences. And back with me here to close out the show and share some of his insights and takeaways from listening is Intent Senior Precision Agronomist Kyle Morrow. Kyle, what do you see as the big takeaways from this episode? Yeah, the biggest takeaway is that running a quality trial is is hard and there is definitely an art to it. You know, before you could, and Sean really hits on this, you could you could take two products, put them side by side, and particularly in seed genetics, you, know, you can see one yield out yields the other, and it's very simple and straightforward. And when we get into these biologicals and other products, it gets to a, a much more complicated view on how to properly execute a trial. And I think the biggest misconception is that, you know, we'll, we'll just give product to a farmer for free. They'll give us data and, you know, we'll have all the results that we want. And that's really not the truth. You know, right now we're talking about 2021 internally with our clients and the planning starts now for 2021 trials. And I know that we're not even the tassel on most of the, most of the, uh, the corn that we're running trials on. It's a long, very complicated process. And it takes a lot of communication, a lot of planning, a lot of understanding of the products, um, a lot of conversations with, with clients and, and farmers. And what we try to do and what my objective is, is particularly is we got to make it as easy as possible for the farmer to put it out. So on the surface, it looks easy, but it is inherently super complex on the back end to be able to execute a, a proper trial, especially with the with how complicated a lot of these new products are getting and, and how it reacts and responds with, you know, with the, the farmer's practices. Well, thank you so much, Kyle, for being on the show. It's fun for me to have kind of a co-host every once in a while like this. And thank you to Intent for partnering with me on this episode. If you're listening and you're either a farmer or someone in ag tech, ag business who wants to be involved in accelerating ag tech adoption and accelerating innovation, you can find out more about their work over at intent.ag. The, the way they spell that, I want to make sure you get it here. It's I-N, the number 10 the letter T dot ag. So I N one zero T dot ag. Hey, I appreciate all of you for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. We'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Hey, thanks again for listening to the future of agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Hey.